0: forth for prodigy beyond our understanding.
1: Coming who will baptize with life. The Holy Spirit. One whose coming has been of old, from time everlasting, soon to be among us. Greater than all of us. Send us a promised one. A king who will free us from the evils of this world. I follow that star. Where is this Messiah to be born? His name shall be Jesus. I think he wants me to follow. To believe in the Messiah, one must believe in God.
2: Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This is a recording of uh, the Key Row Film Society. As you notice, I slightly flip-flop the name to Key Row Film Society. It kind of flows off the tongue a little bit better. Uh, so this is what is going to be the name of the show. And just a little forewarning, um, and today is going to be a focus on. Uh, christian movies christian film uh i'm not going to have one as intensive as like this most year most times but i'm going to try to do like a christian movie or something that's christian pop culture about once a month uh so this is but today because it is holy week it's going to be very very much focused on uh christian cinema and so to begin, I'm going to talk a little bit because it is Holy Week, as I mentioned. I'm going to talk about the traditions of Holy Week, as I have been doing. So, uh, yesterday was Palm Sunday, and at my congregations, we did what was known as a full congreg which was what was a full congregational processional. Um, this is based off of an ancient tradition. So, here's some um, some of that history of Palm Sunday, and this is what I'm reading off of. Uh, Christian.about.com, some pretty good resource, pretty simple, good information. It says, beginning in the 4th century in Jerusalem, Palm Sunday was marked by a procession of the faithful carrying palm branches representing the Jews who celebrated Christ's entrance into Jerusalem. In the early centuries, the procession began on the Mount of the Ascension and proceeded to the Church of the Holy Cross. As the practice spread throughout the Christian world by the ninth century, the procession would begin in each church with the blessing of palms, proceed outside the church, and then return to the church for the reading of the Passion according to the Gospel of Matthew. So, uh, so that's kind of a nice little detail, and it's you know showing some of the history of Palm Sunday. Uh, I like one thing that she mentioned in there, talked about the reading of the Passion. So, stepping backwards. The procession of the palms is the way we began the service. And when we began in front of the church, there was a reading of um, John's gospel account of the Palm Sunday procession. Uh, This tends to be a preferred gospel for Palm Sunday uh, because it is John's gospel that specifically mentions palms. However, there are many that will go with Matthew's gospel, uh, which is... uh, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 9, uh, that's the ancient, that's the more traditional version, uh, but, you know, pastor, it's up to each pastor. And then there'd be a prayer, and then after the prayer, the congregation all recess in, and the common hymn now is All Glory, Laud, and Honor. Uh, So it's a very nice triumphal hymn, uh, beautiful hymns, very well emphasizes the, the theme of the triumphal entry. And then when the congregation gets to their seats, there's a moment of silence, and then another prayer, and then you hear the scripture readings, and specifically you will hear uh, the Passion account according to Matthew. Now, this is kind of an interesting little thing, is that uh, in the 1940s, uh, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, of which I am a member... Uh, put out the um, hymnal known as the Lutheran hymnal and in this hymnal they had uh, actually dropped out the reading of the Passion on Palm Sunday and the reason for this is because many churches chose to do um, confirmation on Palm Sunday and so they were trying to shorten up the service so they dropped out the Passion reading, they dropped out the pat the procession of palms, and you know they just focused on Palm Sunday. Well, the problem came out of that was that uh, the confirmation service took away from Palm Sunday, and so when Lutheran worship came out, I think it was in 1978ish. I think um, the church began to go for a change and began to bring in that reading again. But the thing was in um, Lutheran worship. Uh, Sorry, it was 1982. I gave the wrong year. 1982, uh, when Lutheran Worship came out in 82, the three-year lectionary had the reading of the Passion. So year A, you would read Matthew, B, Mark, C, uh, Luke. Uh, So this year is year C for many of of you who are on the three-year lectionary, and you'd read from the Gospel of Luke. But the one-year lectionary had no such practice. It didn't read any of the Passion accounts. So, so they kept it the way it was in TLH until the new hymnal came out, the service book, which came out in 2007. And in 2007, they brought back the reading of the Passion. And so what it does is it sets a contrast for, for Palm Sundays to remind you that this king who rode in triumphantly into Jerusalem, Jesus is coming in to present himself as the king of the Jews, the king of Israel, the king of kings, the lord of lords. But he's also coming in to present himself as the lamb of sacrifice. For he himself was to be sacrificed at the end of the week. He was to be crucified. And so the reading of the Passion emphasizes that contrast. And then throughout Holy Week comes the reading of those texts. And by the way, just a couple other, a couple of liturgical notes is in Palm Sunday again. This is two things that I did was right after we read of Jesus' death when he officially died. Uh, I had a moment of silence. I turned and reverenced the altar uh, to show the solemn nature of the fact that Jesus died. Uh, God of gods died. It is proper to say that God died. Then. You know, I continued reading it, and then as we finished with the gospel lesson, we tolled the bells in our churches 33 times for the 33 years that it is believed Jesus lived on this earth prior to his crucifixion. So, so anyway, so um, Holy Monday, which is today, as I record this, on Holy Monday, there would be a reading of, Either two readings. Either they would read about the Monday events when Jesus um, threw the money changers out of the temple. Or they could read about um, Jesus and his confrontation with the Greeks in the latter half of John 12. Or you do what I did at my congregation today and we read the fuller Count of the Passion of Matthew. And so today we had a simple prayer service. We read Matthew's account of the Passion. Tomorrow we're going to read Mark's. Uh, Wednesday we're going to lo- read um, Luke. And then, of course, and then on Good Friday we're going to read John. So the idea is you will have read all four Passion accounts. And a possible thing that could have been done on Palm Sunday, I didn't do it, I might do it next year, is to read the full Passion. Um, In our hymnal, there is an option to read uh, a combined version of the Passion. Uh, But I think it's, I don't totally love that idea because you don't get the nuances that each gospel writer has. Each gospel writer um, emphasizes something different. And so that's why I definitely prefer reading uh, just one gospel at a time. And I think it's important to read all four gospel accounts. If you only go to Good Friday, or you only go to Palm Sunday, uh, or if you go only to Palm Sunday and your church doesn't read the Passion, that means you only ever get John's account. And there's some significant things in Matthew's account of the Passion. Same thing with Mark and Luke. Luke is where you have the words of uh, the repented thief. Um, Matthew is where you get the details of what happened to Judas uh matthews we also get that that wonderful words let his blood be on us and our children which you know people take it that to be anti-semitic but in reality it's prophecy of what the cross was all about was that the blood of christ yeah is on us they're the children of faith and thing literally thanks be to god that the blood of christ is on us because the blood shed upon us is salvation so Tomorrow, so Thursday is going to be Monday Thursday, and on Monday Thursday, we're going to gather together. Uh, the church is going to be a little bit different because for one, it's going to be white. Um, it's with the exception of a few days like uh, St. Joseph for uh, the uh, Annunciation or some other days that end up in the middle of Lent. Uh, Lent is always violet or scarlet during Holy Week. So Maundy Thursday stands out for the simple fact that the color is white. And it's white because we are celebrating the institution of the Lord's Supper. And in the context of Maundy Thursday, there's a few uh, traditions. Uh, For one, the service gets really, really stripped down. And and by the way, as I go through this, if you want to hear really, really good resources on this, go to Issues Etc. www.issuesetc.org And... Listen to this, the podcasts that are, written, that are p- produced or recorded with Pastor Will Whedon. He's got some dynamite, dynamite stuff on this. but a lot of stuff I'm talking about, I've learned from issues, etc. So, um, and some of it, you know, I learned from uh, reading through our altar books and some other materials. But honestly, a lot of it's from issues, etc. They got some smart guys on that show. But anyways, uh, so it's white. And so, like I said, the the, uh, the service gets trimmed down. Uh, there's no creed, no offering, no offertory. Um, there's many that won't do the gradual or the introit or the psalm. Uh, there's a lot of things that get trimmed out. And then at the end of the service, uh, you're not going to have the benediction. Uh, you don't have the post-communion canticle. You go straight from communion to what is known as the stripping of the what is the stripping of the altar. And so. The pastor, or whoever, will be reading Psalm 22, or possibly chanting it. Uh, Psalm 22, because Psalm 22 is a prophecy concerning Jesus' death. And it's also those first words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, are words that Jesus spoke from the cross. And that's, again, another reason why it's important to read from the Synoptic Gospels, because John does not record those very, very significant words. So this is one another reason why you want to read Matthew, or one of the other synoptic gospels on Palm Sunday, so that way you can get many of those details that John leaves out. And understand when John leaves them out, it's not saying, John's not saying these things didn't happen, it's that John was written, you know, many years after the synoptic gospels were, and so these three are already circulating, so John figured, what's the point? They have three writings of this, I don't need to put this detail again, so he doesn't put it in. It's, so, it's, again, it's not that these things didn't happen. It's that John is emphasizing something else. Again, and this, again, highlights the significance, the importance of reading multiple Gospels because each Gospel has their own little emphases. And so that's why it's good to read all four Passion accounts. Uh, so, again, going back to... So talk about Maundy Thursday. At the end of the service, the pastor is reading Psalm 22. And as Psalm 22 is being read... The altar is being stripped. The, the candles being taken down, the altar book and missile and stand. Uh, the pyramids, the communion wares, even the white uh, cloth that goes over the altar, which is almost never taken off, is taken off at that time. Uh, the, pul- the pyramids from the, p- the altar and the pulpit are taken off. Uh, our church right now is actually already stripped because I have a tri-parish set, um, setting and so we're not going to have Good Friday i mean, going to have Maundy Thursday at um, the church that's going to celebrate Good Friday so we just stripped it in advance just to make it easy so for Good Friday it's going to be stripped there's not going to be anything on that altar and it's it's really sobering to watch that I mean it really do- it does um, Todd Wilkin mentioned this in uh, an episode of Issues Etc. and He's um, he had you know mentioned that it's like um, when you move out of a house that you've grown up in your whole life. The same thing with here. Now you know I haven't been my whole life at St. Peter's. I've only been here for not even three years. But still, you look at that and you see that bare white altar, the bare white uh, pulpit in lectern. It's It's striking to see nothing there. It's and it symbolizes how Jesus was stripped. He was stripped naked before he was crucified, and more than that, he was emptied, as Philippians two says. He was empty. He emptied himself. When Jesus was on the cross, he had nothing, and it's a reminder even to us that when we die we are going to be have nothing. We don't get to take anything with us. We don't get to take our money. We don't get to take our gadgets. We don't get to take our clothes. We don't get to take anything with us when we die. The only thing we have at the moment of death is Jesus. The thing is, that's all you'll need. And that stripping the altar reminds us of that. So that sets up Good Friday. And Good Friday, there's two different services of option. Uh, we're going to be doing what's called the chief service. Typically, the chief service happens, traditionally I should say, it happens at noon, which is the hour when Jesus was on the cross. Uh, we're going to be doing it at 7 o'clock just because having a noon Good Friday service isn't very likely. and I want people to experience the chief service as much as possible because it is such an awesome, beautiful liturgy. And so uh, one thing I should mention is this year is a very unique year in terms of Good Friday. The tradition in our Synod is that Friday is the Annunciation, but they because it's Good Friday, many people are pushing good, the Annunciation to um, a week from this, so two weeks from today. Uh, so the first, the second Monday after Easter Sunday. Is when they've moved it to. and Because the idea is like. Well you can't have the Annunciation on the same day as Good Friday. Well I am of the opinion that I believe it should be still. I think it should be recognized this year. Because if you know the history. Behind the dating of the Annunciation. And the dating of Christmas. Having the Annunciation on the same day as Good Friday. This is the first time since 2005. And it's the last time in over a hundred years it's going to happen again. I think that every church should be banking on this, because so many people, there's so much false stories going on out there about how we got the date of Christmas. And so many people say that it has to do with us competing with the the Greco-Roman holidays or we're trying to Greco-Roman religions. Uh, Saturnalia, or whatever, or the birth of Mithra, when in reality it's not. When in reality it's based off of a Jewish legend, Jewish myth, that a great prophet was conceived on the same day they died. And so it was believed in the early church that Jesus was crucified on March 25th. So you add nine months to March 25th, And you have December 25th, Christmas. So this is one of the remarkable years where Good Friday lands exactly nine months from Christmas. All right, so that makes it a very special one. And so at our church, my congregations, um, we are going to drop the reading from Hebrews. And I'm actually replacing it with the, the Annunciation Gospel and we're gonna right after that, we're gonna sing a brief hymn. We're gonna have um we're gonna have the collect for the Annunciation, and which actually ties in well to Good Friday. And then we'll also sing the hymn uh of uh, what is it? Something like Eden Prophesies. I can't remember the exact word, hymn name, but it's got we're doing just the first and third verse. And those two what hope and Eden prophesied. Sorry, that's the name of it. What Hope and Eden prophesied. And those two verses, first and third, tie in well to Good Friday. It very wonderfully connects Good Friday to the Annunciation. Uh, We're still going to be... We're not going to put up white pyramids. Uh, The emphasis, the focus of the service is very much going to be Good Friday. But I did not want to miss this literally once in a lifetime... Well, okay, second in a lifetime opportunity because last one was 11 years ago. But if you were... It's the last time in any of our lives that's going to happen, unless you happen to live a really, really long time. So, but after that, um, we'll have the reading from Isaiah. And by the way, one of the things that's <coughs> notable, pardon for the cough, I know I don't, rec- I don't cut these out. It's because I don't have time for a lot of editing. I apologize for that, whenever that happens. But anyways, um, Monday, Thursday... Is not the there is no benediction in there, and the reason is is because it's not the end of the service at the end of Maundy Thursday. You end up quiet if there's a silence, and the people um process out of the church silent. And there's actually pious traditions where people don't eat food, um, they don't talk. Some people even take vows of silence for the entire time from Maundy Thursday, not to just Good Friday, but actually all the way to the end of the Easter vigil. Or if you don't have an Easter vigil, to the sunrise service on Easter morning. Or whenever you have your Easter morning service. And so this is why you really want an Easter vigil, because uh, you get a little less time to not be eating. Uh, and I actually plan to do that with the exception of eating a little bit from my medications uh, this year. I'm not going to do the vow of silence, but I will definitely do the, um, the fasting and not eating. But... So, like I said, it's not the end of the service. So, the chief service is a continuation of the Maundy Thursday service. And at the beginning of it, you'll come in, the pastor will be already robed up. He won't be out front greeting you. Like, I won't be out front greeting people, talking to people like I normally do. I will already be in the sanctuary, I'll already be on my knees in prayer. Uh, i'll probably pray the litany to myself or something of that nature maybe one of the suffrages out of the old hymnal something of that nature readying my heart and my mind uh for the leading of this service and and right away as you see people as people get to their seats at exactly seven o'clock on the dot i'm going to get up I'm going to stand up and i'm going to pray the collect i'll read the reading uh, and we'll we'll commence with the service and then the service will focus very much on, There'll be, like I said, there'll be the suffering servants, um, which is recorded in Isaiah 52 and 53. Uh, there will be the reading of the Gospel of John, uh, which will very much be the focus of um, Good Friday. Interspersed throughout the reading is going to be the singing of, oh, sacred head now wounded. Uh, then there will be a sermon. Uh, the sermon oftentimes will actually be kind of short. Uh, because you don't have to do a lot of preaching after all the scripture you have read. And just excellent, excellent hymns. Uh, Then you'll have, uh, there won't be an offering, because offering really, or offertory or anything like that, because that really um, upsets the tone of Good Friday. So after the sermon, uh, you'll go right into what is known as the bidding prayer. And the bidding prayer is a really, really cool prayer, and and that it starts with these bids the past uh an assistant will say this bid, be like let us pray for the church of god and then you'll pause for silence for people to meditate on what that means to pray for the church of god and then the pastor would proceed and pray the set prayer and you do that for each of the petitions right and so and it's a very very powerful prayer it's lengthy it takes a while Um, And that's the reason why we only do it once a year. Then comes the adoration of the cross. Uh, In our church, we're going to have a large wooden cross leaned against the stripped altar, because the altar is still stripped from Maundy Thursday. And over that cross will be a large black cloth. And slowly through the course in that adoration, three times they'll say, Behold the life giving... Um, The life-giving cross, and I will pull off a part of the cloth and part more and more. and Eventually, the cross is going to be completely unveiled. And you'll see that wooden cross revealed. Um, All the other crosses are still covered in black from actually Passion Sunday, which was a week ago already. A little over a week ago. Uh, Then we'll have what is called the reproaches. And the reproaches are some of the most powerful words of the entire liturgical year. Because you've got to read this as Jesus talking to us, the crucified one talking to us. If you go to a church that does the reproaches, I encourage you to pay attention to the words. Um, I'm going to pull them up here on my computer uh, so I can read them to you so you can hear just how powerful uh, these words are. Uh, give me a second for my computer to load. Okay, it says here Thus says the Lord, What have I done to you, O my people? And wherein have I offended you? Answer me. For I have raised you up out of the prison house of sin and death and you have delivered up your Redeemer to be scourged. For I have redeemed you from the house of bondage, and you have nailed your Savior to the cross. O my people. And that's just the first of the three reproaches, and this is interspersed with the hymn, Lamb of God, pure and holy. Uh, As the service comes to a close, uh, there's a conclusion the closing hymn for the chief Service is either sing my tongue the glorious battle or um the other option is gotta think oh yeah uh the royal banners forward go i don't do royal banners forward go because it's just a really tough hymn to sing and i i have enough i kind of struggle with my my co there there's some hymns that don't always go well in my congregation, so each pastor has to work in their own situation. But I do sing my tongue the glorious battle. It's a new hymn to my congregation, but it's I think they're going to be better able to learn it. What stands out about this hymn is in the chief service, for this to end, is, is you know, here, listen to, I'll sing here with the first verse of it, and listen to the tune. Sing, my tongue, the glorious battle, sing the ending of the fray. Now above the cross, the trophy, sound the loud triumphant lay. the day all right so that is the notice that tune it's triumphant it's joyful to an extent which seems weird for Good Friday doesn't it but see it reminds us that when we come to Good Friday we are not mourning Jesus death. this isn't poor old Jesus you know he poor him tough, tough luck guy no no this is actually a good Friday is really about us mourning over our own sin over our which leads to our own death. And it does lead us to mourn not for Jesus that, but that it is our sin that caused that pain. And so, but sing my tongue the glorious battle is a joyful one. It's to remind you that the death of Jesus though it is, ca- is a caused by our sin so we mourn over our sin which brought it about we also rejoice that it is what brings about the death of our sin the death of death itself and so that is why it's joyful later in the evening many churches will have what is known as the tenebrae service and or the service of light and during the service of light you will have um, throughout the reading of the gospel of john they use john as well the candles are slowly extinguished in the church until you only have one candle lit and and at the very end of the service, when the candles, all the candles are extinguished except for the one, and that's the pastoral candle, uh, you'll sing one concluding hymn. And we're going to be singing my church. We're, gonna, we're combining the chief service and um, the tenebrae service. And the tenebrae service, last hymn, uh, so what we're doing for the last hymn is, O Perfect Life of Love. And so we'll sing that as soon as that hymn is finished. I'm going to go out with the pastoral candle into our side room. And I'm going to slam the door with a loud bang, which is called the strepitus. Which ref- reminds us, calls to mind, the earthquake and the ceiling of the tomb. And then I'm going to, after I've slammed it, I'm going to, for a brief moment of silence, I'm going to step back out with that same pastoral candle, leave it on the altar, and the entire church is going to go black. And people will then process out of the church in silence. Uh, and getting us ready, just... And the reason it's a little bit so more somber in uh, the tenebrae services, because you're very much emphasizing that phrase, it is finished. Jesus is dead. He's going to be laying... He laid in a tomb. And so we are going in silence because the God of God, the Lord of Lords, is lying in a tomb... On account of our sin. So I know that was a lot. And you're sitting there wondering, like, uh, aren't you going to talk about pop culture like you normally do? How is this uh, the. How could this be the uh, Key Row Film Society if you're not talking about film? It's my show. I'm doing it, so I'm not getting paid. So I'm starting out talking about liturgy. I hope it's enjoyable because it is Holy Week. Enjoy- this is a great opportunity to talk about. Next week, I'm going to have probably. Almost as long of an opening talking about the Easter Vigil and the Easter services. Um, they will have already happened, but um, if you have an Easter Vigil in your area, by the way, go to it. They are awesome, awesome services to go. If you live in our area, come up to come to St. John in May City, Iowa, and we're going to be hosting one if you live you know, even an hour away. Come out and check it out. So, with all that in mind, we're going to transition to... What was on television last night, and that was the, um, the show that was known as The Passion Alive, which was for New Orleans, uh, and it was run by uh, Tyler Perry. So here is the opening, here's a little clip to kind of introduce this segment. Has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. A modern day retelling of the Passion of Christ. So that's all I'm going to play. I didn't want to play the full thing of this. Uh, so this is from last night. I watched it and I will just straight up say it was awful. It is uh, cringeworthy because this thing uh, talked a lot. This, is, this has been advertised pretty well on the media, and you know it is because I knew about it, and I don't watch a lot of live television. And so the fact that I knew about it says it was getting some good press. And so I watched it last night because I wanted to see what it is. Usually when a Christian movie, Christian-themed thing comes out, I watch it because as a pastor, I need to be informed. And understand just because something talks about Jesus or has a Christian-esque theme to it doesn't mean it is a good thing. So the Passion Live uh, uses secular music. It's a modern retelling of the Passion of Jesus, which in and of itself, that is not a bad idea. It's actually got some good, I think that's actually not an awful idea. Uh, I think that that could be done. But this move, but in order to do that, you have to have a very solid uh, grounding in the scriptures. And the reason I think this is going to be, it can be effective, is because the idea is this is what illustrations are. The purpose of illustration, uh, parable, allegory, whatever you call it, the purpose is that you're using something that people are familiar with. So that they're base, it's like they're they're getting their foot planted in the familiar, in order that they can take a step into the unfamiliar. All right. So it actually can be a very effective way of re-engaging the mind with a story that's already familiar, or maybe they had no familiarity. It can allow you to see some see it in a new light. Uh, this is not de-emphasizing the power of scripture. Or the power of the word, it's just recognizing that you know God uses many means to communicate His words. Um, you're still communicating God's word, but the key is you've got to be communicating God's word. The passion last night had some scripture in it, very little, and it cut out significant moments. It cut out significant parts. All right, um, the music was super secular. And I don't. And it actually caused problems in the theology of the passion. Is it possible to use secular music? Perhaps it might, but it's that's a really tough thing to do. And the movie, that that play, that musical, really, really failed at it. And I looked at they showed the crowds. People were crying. They were weeping. They were very emotional. And it made me a little bit emotional, too, because these people are being led not into Christianity. Because the message of Christ wasn't clear. And if it wasn't obvious, it became, if it wasn't obvious at first, it became obvious in the interviews they are having with the crowds. The crowds, they said, what does this mean to you, this cross? And they said, it means strength. It means power. Things like that. Nobody said, it means that Jesus, my, my, Jesus shed his blood on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. I didn't hear anybody say that. None. Which means that you have all these people getting emotional and, um, and crying and all these things for what is not the gospel or the gospel is not central. What Jesus did on the cross is not central. And so what this movie is, this musical, was pure emotional manipulation to leading people to think they're hearing about Jesus, when in reality, they're not. They're hearing about a false Jesus. And that makes what that, podca- that m- musical was, it makes it an abomination, blasphemous, and deadly to the faith. It was an awful, awful thing that was put up, and I kind of figured it would be, given some of the people involved with it. So... Uh, That's my reaction on it. And like I said, there's not really much good I could say about it. All right. So we're going to continue on and we're going to go into a section like last week. I just mentioned I'm still not going to get to Miracles of Heaven. I thought I'd watch it by now, maybe next week. Uh, But I got already another movie I'm watching this week. Who knows? It might be on DVD before I watch Miracles of Heaven. I'd like to see it because it's got Christianity in there and I need to see the message it's portraying. Because uh, I could see again, it might pull off the emotional manipulation. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm, I'll be—I'll give it the benefit of the doubt, and it might be good. All right. So before, so with that in mind, we're going to continue into the next section, and we're going to talk about my ranking of the top ten Christian movies of all time, or my favorite ten. Um, I haven't seen every Christian movie. There's a lot of movies I haven't seen. And so if you you say, what about this movie? It might be that I liked it. It might be that I've never seen it. Uh, But this is the list, and um, this is going to be the first top ten list I've ever done. And so so let's get it started. And I'm going to play here the trailer of my number ten Christian movie of all time.
0: Shall arise a star. All of them talk of this prophetic king. This man who will defeat me. The greatest of
1: kings, born in the most humble of places. <sighs> Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God.
0: You will give birth to a son. Elizabeth, why is it me God has asked?
1: I am nothing. Oh, child. A husband has been chosen for me.
0: How was he to believe this?
1: Do you know how much disgrace you have brought upon
0: yourself, upon Joseph, Mary? I have broken no vow. Women have been put to death for this. believe me yes the angel came to me my dreaming in the name of king herod and the almighty caesar each man will return to the land of his ancestors i must travel to bethlehem i'm going with my husband how
1: do we raise such a child
0: i wonder if i will even be able to teach him anything
1: End this threat to my
0: rule. I ask not your home, but any place you have. Please, is there a no place for us?
2: That number 10 movie, if you didn't know, could tell, that was the movie, The Nativity Story, uh, came out in um, a few years ago. And it's very, as it, you can tell from the title, it's about the birth of Jesus. And the movie was, um, it wasn't a perfect movie. Uh, historically, it did some pretty it did pretty good to the Bible. It's pretty faithful with a few exceptions. Uh, some of the things it did with the Magi. Uh, the way the the birth of Jesus was filmed was not completely. It was a little bit too Hallmarky, uh, like a Hallmark Christmas card. But otherwise, it was a pretty well, uh, pretty pretty well done. It was a pretty good movie, pretty accurate scripturally. The main problem of the movie was honestly, it was. I'm gonna put it bluntly. It was kind of boring. The movie dragged on a little bit too much and it's it had a good i mean it it tried to be faithful but um i think it could have done some things differently and honestly i think it's kind of uh ambitious to try to do a movie completely based upon the birth of jesus given how little we know so it's a good movie but i think and i think it's a good way to start off this top 10 list here comes number nine That number nine movie that I have is taken from the movie Luther, uh, which came out, I believe, in 2007, maybe? I'm not going to try to guess the years on these things, sorry. (laughs) But anyways, that was the Luther movie with Joseph Fiennes. Uh, I have not actually seen the old Martin Luther movie. Um, It's on my Netflix list, so I would watch that eventually. And Who knows? Maybe it would be warranting of a top ten list. But at the moment, I'm using the Lutheran movie because I love anything that's explicitly Lutheran like that. Uh, Takes historical liberties. And, you know, it's definitely going to be the subject of a later uh, podcast. But, uh, so that's my number nine movie. The number eight movie, I'm not going to play the trailer for it just because it's not in English. And that is Babbitt's Feast, uh, which is a great, great um, film. Uh, especially about uh, wonderful teaching in the Lord's Supper, very Lutheran in its expression. Uh, and so uh, that's my number eight. Number seven is a movie that most people will not think of as a Christian movie, but I do because of the book that it's based off of. And that is the Les Miserables musical uh, that came out in 2012. And like i said this is uh based off of victor hugo's book which is thoroughly christian and i and the themes still come through in the musical so for that reason it is my number uh seven uh movie and here is a trailer there you have *Les Misérables*, which is a a movie that I intend to do some point in the future as a review and analysis. Uh, a great, very good musical. Some powerful, emotional music. Uh, admittedly, the mu- it could get a little bit lengthy. It's kind of one of those movies. I think if you're best off if you're not you're not good at handling musicals, it's probably good to divide it into two viewings uh, or have a halftime or something like that. But either way it is a wonderful, wonderful movie. Uh, it was nominated for Best Pictures, so uh, number six The Mission from nineteen eighty six.
1: Little in this world unfolds as we predict. Indeed, how could the Indians have supposed that the death of this unsung priest would bring among them a man whose life was to become inextricably intertwined with their own? Tell them they must leave the mission. They say it was the will of God that they came out of the jungle and built the mission. They don't understand why God has changed his mind. Never become a priest, but I am a priest, and they need me. If you die with blood on your hands, you betray everything we've done. Might is right. Love has no place in the world. An age of conquest The laws of heaven
2: Now, aside from that, I'm sorry for the cheesy 1980s trailer over voice, but that movie was actually a very beautiful movie. Uh, Beautiful soundtrack, uh, beautiful cinematography, especially the uh, images of the Amazon uh, that you see throughout the film. The movie is tragic, but a wonderful, wonderful story about mission And loving of and going to incredible extent, um, incredible expense to uh, communicate the love of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. So uh, very, very solid movie. Uh, Soundtrack is one of the best soundtracks ever. So. uh, So. So the next one. Uh, my number five movie is is the Chronicles of Narnia: The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe.
1: Sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve will appear to defeat the White Witch and put an end to this hundred-year winter. I think you've made a mistake. We're not heroes. There's no mistake. Aslan is on the move.
0: she'll get.
2: that's uh the trailer for lion witch in the wardrobe chronicles of narnia from 2005 uh the movie is notable just i mean it's based off of a wonderful book by c.s lewis and it is very faithful to the book and it is actually a really really good example of what i talked about earlier with passion live of how you can use a different environment to tell the gospel the gospel is told in the chronicles of narnia Using the environment of, you know, witches and wizards and, um, you know, talking bears and, uh, you know, talking lions and things like that. It's, they're using um, this fantastical world to really tell of Jesus. And so, um, so there's number five. Number four is A Man for All Seasons from 1966. Uh, this movie did win uh, Best Picture. Um, I'm not going to actually win. Um, I'm not going to play the trailer for this because it's kind of a dated one. And it's kind of. It uh, doesn't sound as well. And this will be true for the next two. These top. The next uh, couple as well. Mad for All Seasons is a very well done movie. Uh, interesting. Um, engaging story. Interesting character. Is Thomas More uh, de- during the time of the English uh, the English Reformation? So very interesting movie. Uh, might be one that's worth uh, doing a podcast. I don't know. Uh, my number th- my number three movie is The Ten Commandments from nineteen fifty six, starring Charlton Heston uh, and Yul Brenner as uh, Pharaoh. Uh, one of the all time great classic. Uh, biblical movies uh, not perfect in terms of comparisons with the scripture but pretty good Uh, the scene of the crossing the Red Sea uh, cinematically is one of the most memorable moments in uh, cinematic history in terms of special effects it was groundbreaking at the time Uh, so a movie that's still watched to this day it's lengthy but it's definitely a good one Another one that is rather lengthy, that has a very, uh, you know, came out in 1959. Uh, this is Ben Hur, which won Best Picture. Uh, was is actually really one of the best movies ever made. Period. Christian or not, um, the movie is definitely Christian. It just doesn't look at it on the outset. Although the title has in it a tale of Jesus Christ. But the ending of the movie is so, so powerful. Communicates the gospel better than just about any other movie that I have seen in a long... I mean, there are so few movies that communicate the gospel like the Ben-Hur did in the closing scene. I know they're doing a remake right now, and I'm really nervous that they're going to weaken that. And the movie itself might be weakened. So, but anyways, that's my number two. And number one is going to be the movie that is going to be the subject of the primary film of this discussion this day. Uh, before I begin, continue on with this, with the number one movie, uh, I'm going to note that uh, I'm going to tell, give a little preview to next week. Because when I finish this uh, analysis of The Passion of the Christ... I'm gonna roll right into the end of the podcast, and so before I get to that, a little preview of next week. Next week we are gonna be uh, doing a superhero themed um, episode. I understand, not every episode's gonna have themes. I know this is three weeks in a row of themes. It's not always gonna work out that way. Right now it's just working out well. So next week we are gonna be superhero theme. I'm gonna give my re- early review of Batman v Superman. Uh of justice if i have time if i do see it um i will give a review of miracles from heaven uh i'm gonna do we are gonna do uh and then the main movie that i'm gonna talk about i'm gonna talk a little bit about easter and the easter vigil and then the primary movie that we're going to talk about is uh the man of steel uh from what was it 2012 13 something like that uh, the movie that Batman v Superman is really a sequel of. So that is what we are. That's what's in plan for next week. And so that leads me to the number one Christian movie in my mind of all time. So that one, you didn't really hear any uh, dialogue, and there's probably a good reason. And that is that movie was The Passion of the Christ. And that's going to be the theme for this, uh, the main movie, of the podcast. And I'm not going to try to go too long on this because I know the podcast is already going long today. Because there's quite a bit to talk about with the Holy Week services. So The Passion of the Christ is, I pick it as number one because it is a powerful powerful gut-wrenching movie it's violent yes but as a pat another pastor once said it said you know when in response to that this movie was violent it's the reality is that this movie wasn't violent enough it still doesn't get to how harsh crucifixions were how harsh the crucifixion of jesus was and the thing that should be noted with this movie is um the passion of the christ is um for much of the movie, it is based off of the traditional uh, stations of the cross, uh, which is uh, celebrated in Roman Catholicism. And one of the things that I noticed in the movie, I watched this on Netflix, and there's something that got cut out in the Netflix version. And this thing that got cut out actually took so, takes away from the movie quite a bit. And that is in the very, very beginning of the movie. The very beginning of the movie, in theaters, it quotes from Isaiah 52, uh, 52 and 53, which is prophecy concerning Jesus' death. Talk about him being crushed for our iniquities. Uh, that, you know, his death was for the forgiveness of sins. Very heavily emphasizing the substitutionary atonement. That the reason that Jesus is being nailed to the cross is to redeem us of our from our sins to grant us eternal life to grant us salvation uh, that was not included in the netflix version but it is the re- in the regular version and with that beginning it reminds you the reality that when we watch the pat when we focus on the passion we do not focus on the passion to mourn for jesus death or to feel sorry for him rather we focus upon the Passion to mourn for our sin and our death, and to celebrate the victory we have in the cross, and to see to what extent our God went through to redeem us. All right? That's the purpose of hearing the Passion. And so the Passion of the Christ um, so wonderfully shows the extent of it. I mean, the very beginning of the scene, the first scene of the movie uh, takes place (coughs) in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, Jesus is praying. And then you have the devil on the side tempting Jesus. And the serpent comes out. And while the serpent is, you know, slithering its way, Jesus eventually stomps on it. An image to you of another prophecy being fulfilled. And that is the prophecy of Genesis 3.14 that the, the offspring of Eve would crush the serpent's head. So imagery, art, artistry is a major, major thing going on in the Passion of Christ. There's a lot of very artistic moments. Moments where they're pretty much reenacting the great paintings of the history of the church. And it's actually one of those reasons why I am baffled by the fact that this movie did not get more recognition in the Oscars. I know that there is a claim of anti-Semitism, and I'm going to get to that in a little bit, but the reality is is that that, mo- that uh, movie had really, really good style, good music, good cinematography, good lighting, uh, very well, uh, very good, uh, you know, set, set designs, clothing designs. Everything was done very, very well in that film. Uh, was acting perfect? No. But I think it was pretty good for people uh, speaking a language that's pretty much dead. You know, it's pretty difficult to put in an acting performance like that. So, I mean, it was a very, very well done movie when all things are considered. And it's, so, it's kind of a shame it didn't get some uh, better nods at the Oscars. I'm not saying it should have won Best Picture, but it definitely should have gotten some uh, recognition. The, but anyways, the movie had, uh, and so the movie starts like I said in the Garden of Gethsemane. You get that wonderful little illustration of, you know, John three four, I mean, Genesis three fourteen at the beginning there, um, and I mean, it, it uses a lot of scripture. And it kind of wonderfully intersperses throughout the story some moments of the scriptures, some of the details of Jesus's ministry, even some of the details of his upbringing. They show the scene of him, you know, uh, building this uh, table, reminding you that he was at one time a carpenter before he became before he began his ministry. And so, and the movie, like I said, the movie is very accurate. It shows the Romans the way they beat and tortured Jesus. The guards that were around Jesus while he was carrying the cross, while he was scourged and flogged, those are the guys that the Romans paid to beat up people, to beat them to a bloody pulp. And they just don't care about anyone. And they really can't. Given the kind of job they do, it's really hard for them to care for other people. And you see that very well reflected in the way that they are with Jesus. Whereas the regular Roman soldiers appear to have some level of compassion about Jesus. Um, and so you see in the flogging where uh, Jesus is whipped just repeatedly, repeatedly. And some might think, well, well, I thought the Jews only whipped 39 times. And they do. But this isn't the Jews. This is the Romans. The Romans only whipped until they're bored, really. They didn't see any limit to the amount that they whipped somebody uh, or scourged someone. And in fact, many people were beaten to death with the whip. And they had no problem with that. So, uh, there's, I mean, I don't know what the theology of this movie is. It's, you know, you could read about it. It's in Isaiah 52, 53. You could find it in uh, Romans 5. Uh, you could find it throughout scripture. In this film, people get upset. It's like, well, you shouldn't be focusing so much on how Jesus died. You should be focusing on what he, how he lived or whatever. And whenever people say that, I remember the show South Park made a big point of this in one of their uh, episodes. It kind of conveys the misunderstanding of the purpose of Jesus' death. See, the thing is, is that we don't, we are failures, we are sinners, we are dirty, rotten, no good sinners. We fail over and over and over and over again. And the message of the cross is the centrality of our faith. Without it we are condemned we are doomed to hell with it we have eternal life we have salvation and so that is why we care uh as much as we do about you know focusing on the passion focusing on the message of the passion because as Paul says we decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified again he says We preach to you, Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Jesus himself said that we are to preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Where is repentance and forgiveness of sins most clearly found? In the cross. All of the scriptures are pointing either forward or backwards to the cross. It's the central message. It is the most important event in all of the history of creation. And that's why we watch, why this movie was put together. It's a good opportunity for us to focus on the death of Jesus and what he has done for our salvation. Now, there are, and like I said, that there are people that. Don't understand that and you as a christian your job is when people hear about the cross and they ask you why it happened you're to answer well see i well i'm a dirty rotten sinner and i the only thing that could save me from the consequence of my sins was jesus and so he did he saved me from those consequences by dying on the cross so that is what I have for today. I hope this uh, was all good for you, and I hope it was a blessing. this message was a blessing to you, this teaching. Um, I hope it enhances your Holy Week uh, commemorations. And I pray that you go find someplace that has uh, Good Friday services, Monday Thursday services, Easter vigils, attend them. You'll be exhausted like I'm going to be exhausted come Sunday night but it will be a blessing to you. So with all that in mind, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his divine countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Again, I am Pastor Neil Wemus. I am a pastor of three Lutheran, three churches in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod in Northwest Iowa. You can find out about my congregations at www. Dot iowaoclutherans.org. Thank you and God bless.